Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. I am absolutely fired up today to have the one and only John Gordon here on the show. John has published numerous best-selling books, including Energy Bus, The Carpenter, The Seed, Hard Hat, and his most recent book, Power of a Positive Team. He's worked with numerous Fortune 500 companies and some of the top sports teams in the world, including the Los Angeles Dodgers and national champion Clemson football. John has been a mentor from afar for not only myself, but for our entire Bananas team. And I'm so thrilled to connect with you and have you on the show today. Hey, thanks, Jesse. I am honored to be here and I admire what you do and how you do it. You're an incredible culture builder. So it's just a joy to be with you. Well, thanks a lot, y'all. Well, I want to go, I mean, power of positive team. First of all, Carpenter, I read and did a six page report on that. That just loves servant care. You nailed it. But then power of positive team comes out and you put everything into this book in short bite size. And I want to start with culture because as you shared, to be a positive team, be a great team, you really got to start with culture. You got to focus on the root if you want to get to the fruit. So you share at the beginning how you have to stand, what you stand for, share who you are, what do you want to be known for? What's that North Star? So my question is, how do you get your whole team really behind that? Well, first you have to articulate. You have to talk about it. You have to be able to share how important culture is, why culture matters, and then how we can build a great culture. And then what we stand for, what is our North Star? What are we here to do? What does the root look like? And what is investing in the root look like in order to have the fruit? So you have to talk about it with your team. You have to make them understand that culture really is everything. It's not one thing. It's everything. You get them to buy into the culture that you want to create. You get them to articulate what matters to them and what kind of culture they want to build. It's not a one-person thing. It's a everyone thing. It's an all-in thing. It's having everybody on the team, on the bus, moving in the right direction with that shared vision, focus, and purpose. And once you articulate that, you talk about that, you get their buy-in, well, then it's about, okay, let's create this culture each day. What can we do to create this great culture that we're talking about? How do we invest in the root? Because if you focus on the fruit and you ignore the root, like so many organizations do, the tree dies. But if you invest in that root and you make it your number one priority, you will get a great supply of fruit. So they have to understand it's root to fruit. One of our young employees once said, said, Jesse, we need to stop talking about money. Stop talking about dollars. Only talk about what we're trying to do and be the most fans first company. And as soon as we did that, the money started to take care of itself even more. Do you have any great examples? You share so many stories of a leader that was like, nope, this is our very simple vision. This is who we are. And this is what we're going to target. Oh, so many. Clemson football is a great example because he knew the kind of culture he wanted to create. He understood the program he wanted to build. The foundation of that program was really based on faith, on optimism, on belief, on family, on relationships, doing things the right way. So he had this vision. He had the culture. And then we see that culture manifest itself in two national championships now. So did Dabo would just show up with a science of belief? If you were to simplify his culture, is it believe in each other? Yes. Well, it's believing in each other and it's the belief about what is possible. He has for years 
Clemson lacked belief. There wasn't a lot of belief in the organization that Clemson could be successful. They would lose a lot of games. There was a term called Clemsoning, <laughs> which meant losing games you should win. And he changed that mindset. He changed the belief. He walked into his first meeting as the head coach with two sides. One side said, believe. The other one said, I can't, with the T crossed out. And so he was sharing his belief about what Clemson could be. They had to believe in what Clemson could be. They had to believe they were champions. And then from there, they became champions. But every day, every practice, I say, is a brainwashing session. Every day after practice, he is talking to them. We're the best. You're the best. We're going to do this. This is how we're going to do it. And over time, they start to believe it. Yes, we are the best. Yes, we're going to give our best effort. Now, it's not just a mindless belief. It's not just saying you're the best. I don't do anything. It's belief with the action to be great that allows them to really achieve greatness. You know, it's so true because I think so many companies aren't clear on what they're doing and then they don't repeat it over and over and over again. So their team knows it. But I think once he got that clear belief, Dabo, great example here, he built connection. And you talk about this a lot in your book, the connection. I mean, how many leaders really know their people, know people that are close to them, really know what matters. And can you give some examples that you shared of how these leaders have really built that close connection? Culture is built one relationship one connection at a time. You said it great. A lot of people want to build a great culture. They talk about these things at an annual meeting, but then they don't create the connection and the culture on a daily basis. We have to realize that we are creating culture every day. It's not static. It is dynamic. And so the connection, the relationship, sharing the values, sharing what we believe, sharing what we stand for, reinforcing it. When you see it done, then you reinforce it and you recognize it. When you don't see it done, you call it out. Hey, this is not what we're about. This is not how we do things here. We need to be better than this. So you're calling that out. And the more you reinforce it, one person, one day at a time, over time, you begin to live and breathe that culture. It becomes part of who you are. There are written rules and unwritten rules. And all those rules come together to be who you truly are as an organization. You're just working with the Dodgers, for instance, and watching Dave Roberts build his relationships one player at a time, one connection at a time. He literally connects with every guy every day to build those relationships. As a leader, you have to connect one-on-one with the people that you lead, and then you have to create an environment that fosters the connections with the people on your team. Mm-hmm. So it's about growing those connections and those relationships. Mm-hmm. I had a guy come to my house one time, he's a yard guy, and he said he uses all organic processes, no chemicals whatsoever. I said, how do you do that? He said, well, I create an environment for the grass, the good grass to grow and spread out really healthy. And it gets all the way out there through all the weeds and everything. And then the weeds have nowhere to grow. Mm. That's what we're talking about here. That's amazing. And I think a lot of their stories really inspired me because so many leaders say, oh, we do an annual review. We do quarterly reviews. Every day, we will walk on the stadium with our people, just do laps, or we'll grab lunch because, hey, what's really going on? And you got to be proactive and not reactive. And most people are reactive. I think you shared a great story too about, was it Brian Bolin from UVA about how he really tried to get people together? Could you share that? Incredible, incredible leader, Brian Bolin. He was the coach of UVA tennis. And from 2001 to 2012, they never won a championship. They would get to the quarterfinals, the semis or just fall short and wouldn't have a championship season, even though they had championship-level talent. And then from 2013 on, they won four out of the next five national championships. How'd they do it? Well, 
they were meeting in Chicago because they had just lost another tournament and they were just so upset. It was a blizzard. They were stuck in the hotel. They couldn't fly home. And so they got together as a team. And Brian said, are we a strong team? And they said, yeah. And they said, really? He said, who are the most important people in your lives? And they all said their families. And he said, do you know about each other's families? And they said, no. He said, if someone was important to you, shouldn't you know what's important to them? You should know the families if it's important to each team member. And so they grabbed names out of the hat and each person had to learn about their teammate's family. They learned about their family. They learned about their teammate. It was an incredible way to get them connected. They did presentations. Some families sent videos. They truly bonded after that. They won a national championship that year. Now, they did more and more things, but he would have them sit around a table and they would talk every day about different topics, different examples. So it wasn't just, hey, go out and play tennis. They took 15, 20 minutes a day to build relationships, build connection. That helped on the court. A lot of times coaches say, we got to get this practice in. We don't have time for this stuff. We have to do drills. Building your culture is more important and a more strategic advantage to help you be successful than actually doing those 15 minutes of drills. 100%. I would ask every leader, how well do you know your spouses and significant others of your team? How well do you know their families? Because I'll tell you, John, inspired again by you, that was a game changer. When we started surprising our staff with trips, they could bring a significant other. They could bring a friend. We just sent our fans first director to her bucket list trip to Ireland. She brought her dad. So she could spend a whole week in Ireland with her dad. That's meaningful because it's with someone they love and they care about. Leaders need to think more about them. It was so brilliant by Brian. He's like, do you actually know each other's families? I loved it. I want to move on to accountability because accountability is huge and catching people doing things wrong. What's the best way to do that? You talk about tough love. How have you seen great leaders do that, John? Well, I believe in tough love, but love must come first. Yes. It's about love tough. Yes. And so tough love only works when love comes first. So it's about loving your team, letting them know that you care about them. And if they know that you care about them, then you earn the right to challenge them, to make them better, to help them get better. And because you really do care about them and you love them, you're not going to let them settle for anything less than their best. You're not going to let them settle for mediocrity. You're going to push them and challenge them to greatness. But you have to build the relationship and the care first. That's what earns the trust that allows you to speak into their lives. And so I'm a big believer in love tough and developing those relationships. But now we talk about accountability, right? We have a set of standards. And these are the standards that we have to rise up to. And I'm going to challenge you to reach these standards. So anytime someone's not living up to the individual or collective standard, well, then you can call them out and talk to them about it. But again, did you first earn the right and develop the relationship to do that? But once you have and you have these standards, then now everyone is working towards the standard. Everyone knows mm. the standard. I think a lot of organizations, not everyone knows the standards. People say, yeah, how do we do this without being a jerk? Well, you don't have to be a jerk. Great leaders are demanding. They're just not demeaning. And so we are demanding of what we expect because we're here to do great work and pursue greatness. We have these standards and together we're going to work towards those standards and meet those expectations. I guess I got a personal question here. I've always had a challenge with this. And I think probably a lot of leaders do, John. We have all 22 to 25-year-old. Our president just turned 27, started at 24. And uh, we're a very young team. My wife and I are elder statesmen here. And uh, <laughs> the reality is people get defensive. And I'm one as well. When you say, hey, you could be better there, it's tough. 
There's the building of the love and, hey, I care. But to say, hey, that wasn't good what you did. How have you seen leaders really get this where people aren't defensive? You have to have these difficult conversations and you have to talk about it at the cultural level. So everyone knows, hey, guys, we're going to have difficult conversations to get better. If we do have difficult conversations, everyone needs to understand this is not meant to be demeaning. We all have to have a spirit of openness, a welcoming of feedback that makes each other better. And then you can be vulnerable first and say, you know, I messed up here. I need to do a better job here as a leader. I could have done this better. So I think it's always best to start with you and where you made a mistake and hold yourself accountable in front of the organization. When they see that and that vulnerability and authenticity in you, that's going to allow you to earn the right to be able to speak that into others and call people out. But as part of the cultural level, when I say call them out, we're not really calling them out. We're calling them up. <laughs> we're calling them up to greatness instead of calling them out. And what we're saying is that we know we can do better. We know that this was not your best effort. We know that you could have done this better, this better, and this better. And I know that you have that in you. Yeah. I am only talking to you about this because I see what your potential is. I see what your greatness is. And I know you can improve in that way. Yeah. So if you say it in that spirit, I think it's going to be more open. And it's all about the way you say it. If you just say, hey, what did you do the other day? You just messed up there. Then what was that all about? <laughs> That's not going to be perceived well, right? But it's how you do it. Now, the Seattle Seahawks have Tell the Truth Mondays. Mm. So every Monday they get together as a team and they talk about their mistakes, how they messed up. Mm. They do call people out in front of the team. But because it's part of the culture, everyone expects it. Everyone knows it's coming. And they're not feeling bad about it. They're not getting upset about it. They're not bitter about it. They understand that it's about making the team better. So everyone's open to the feedback so they can get better. So you have to set it up at the cultural level. Yes. This is how we do things here. Hey, so-and-so, I want you to know that if I do call you out one day from a customer service standpoint, with the way you talk to a fan, I want you to know that I'm only doing it so you can be better and so we can be better. But if I see you do something, just know I am going to say something. Okay? Okay. And so you're setting it up in front of the entire team organization that everyone expects it. They know it's part of your culture. And then over time, it becomes something where no one takes it personal. You don't want to think it personal. Yes. But go first and explain your own shortcomings first. Yes. Share how you made a mistake. That is always a great way to lead. Because then it gives permission for other people to do the same. And I think I said one intern told me, who's now our director of tickets, he said, that first year when you told me, Jesse, he said, you said, Barry, you're better than that. That hit me hard. I felt like I let my dad down. And he was right. I am better than that. And it was an interesting way. I didn't mean to say it that way, but that's how it came out. I want to go into some team building exercises, John, because you give some great examples. And I love your three H's, uh, what Davo does with the safety. Can you explain some of the best team building exercises you've seen? Because I know leaders need to put these in play. Yeah, I'm a big believer in getting together as a team and doing ongoing team building. It's not a one-time event and thinking, hey, we're a team now. You have to continually build your team, one relationship, one connection at a time. And some of the most powerful ways that we've done this that I've seen is one is the hero hardship highlight. So you get together with your team and you ask each person to share who their hero is, a highlight in their life, and a hardship they face that made them who they are today. And as each person shares, you get to learn about the hero, a highlight, a hardship. You get to know them a lot better. And when that happens, the walls of pride and ego come crumbling down and that authenticity and vulnerability 
paves the way for meaningful relationships and and strong connections. Is that done in a retreat and just a regular weekly meeting? So how have you seen those used? You can do it anyway. You can have a retreat. You can have a weekly meeting where you have two or three people share each week until you eventually get to everyone. There's so many ways you can do it. There's no perfect way. There's just the way that you want to do it that fits into your schedule. Great. And I would say that the retreat style is obviously the best. Yes. But any way that you do it is better than not doing it. Definitely. Definitely. And so it's really helpful to do it. Now, Dabo Sweeney, we did a thing called the safety. And the safety is where you put a chair in the front of the room and you have a player sit in the chair. And then the whole team is around that player. And Dabo would ask that player questions about their hero, their hardship, their highlight, a defining moment in their life that made them who they are today. And then just other questions that you may want to ask. And, and then the team could ask questions as well. And as each guy sat in that seat, it was amazing how some guys were brought to tears sharing their stories about their past, about their pain, about issues that they faced, and you name it. It was just really powerful. And I've done this a number of times with a lot of teams. I did it with Auburn Golf, and they won the SEC Championship last year. They truly came together as a team where they were playing for each other. Even though they're golfers, they really became a connected and committed team. And so... The safe seat exercise is truly powerful. And it's a safe seat because it's a safe place to share. It's a safe place to be vulnerable. And what's shared in the room is meant to stay in the room. So you really have to make that a really important point up front and say, this is, again, how we're going to do it. And this is how we can grow closer together. And I had the Auburn golf coaches email me a week later and say, I've never seen a group of golfers more connected. I've never seen a team more powerful than this. And here's the key. You'll never have commitment without connection. It's the connection that breeds the commitment. So a connected team becomes a committed team. That's important to know because we have a lot of leaders out there. We have a lot of teams that want more commitment, but you first have to develop connection that will lead to the commitment. No, I love it. Well, I lose the connection with one of our people if I didn't ask a direct question from Kiki, our uh, director of first impressions. Now, Gil, backstory, Kiki was 22 years old with us, was the shy introvert intern. And then all of a sudden, she just came out of her shell, started answering the phone, singing, and she became our director of first impressions. And at 25 years old, she oversees 200 game day staff members. It's amazing story of what she's done. There's more to it. She has A, you're her favorite author. She never read until this year. And she read your first book. She read The Energy Bus and just started reading over and over. She's read all your books in our Better Book Club. So she goes, thank you, A. She goes, I have one question. Do you have any advice for someone that has a staff of over 200 plus to keep them motivated during tough situations? I think the key is to continually talk to the staff about the purpose. Really know your why, because when you know your why, you will know the way. And so talk about the vision of what you're doing as an organization, what your purpose is, and tell me your purpose. Ask each individual what their purpose is. Yeah. But I also want to know right now, Jesse, what's your purpose as an organization and and what you do and your vision? What's your vision and purpose? Yes. We've always kept it simple. Our name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. All right. Our mission is Fans First, Entertain Always, and to be the most fans first company in the world. So every decision we ask, is it fans first? So we want to be fans first. We want to make their day every day. We want to have an impact on our fans. And you continually talk to them, talk to the staff about that purpose, Mm -hmm. about that vision. And even when there are challenges, hey, we're going to face challenges. We're going to have obstacles. But let's remember our purpose. Let's remember our vision of why we're here. And that purpose will be greater than your challenges to 
overcome and continue moving forward. Mm. It's helping them understand that we're going to face challenges and setbacks and we're going to have adversity in our life. That's just par for the course. That is life. We have to expect challenges, but we have to have an even greater expectation that we will overcome them. This is not Pollyanna positive. It really comes down to a belief that the best is yet to come. Yeah. And no matter what we're going through, that tomorrow will be better than today. And these tests are part of life mm. that help us grow, help us learn, and help us get better. So every day, try to feed that positive dog, right? Feed that positive dog instead of the negative dog. Yeah. And the more we feed that positive dog, that's what grows. No. Life makes you want to feed that negative dog. There's a lot of negativity coming at us. And we can easily buy into that lie. Mm. that our circumstances are beyond repair. If we buy into that lie, we give up. Mm. And we don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. Mm. So let's stay encouraged. I heard the other day that the word encouragement means to put courage into someone. So I would tell her that her job is to encourage and put the courage into each one of her team members and staff members mm. so that they can go out there and be bold and courageous and be their best. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said before, Chase Utley, you met with him and said, just try to get better every day. And if you can get better every day and believe in yourself. And then for instance, I mean, what everyone do, we're just trying to make people happy. Just make people happy. I mean, that's really what the simple of what fans first is. When someone's having a bad day. So one of the best things you can do is try to make someone happy. Because the research shows when we really do good things for others and try to make others happy and volunteer and serve, we actually get happier as a byproduct of mm. that. It's amazing how that works. It's called the Mother Teresa effect. Yes. The more we volunteer, the more we help others, we actually forget our own problems. Yep, the happiness and gratitude. You do both of them. It's unbelievable happier. All right, I know we're finishing up right now. Our head coach, big, huge fan. When I first met him, he goes, have you ever read John Gordon? I started laughing. I go, you're hired. And he said, uh, <laughs> he goes, Jesse, could you please ask him, what is one thing that the best head coaches all have in common? What do they all have in common? I mean, you've worked with some of the best. I mean, Dave Roberts and Pete Carroll and Dabo Sweeney. I mean, what have you noticed about all of them? Oh, I would say there's three things. One, they have this incredible belief in optimism. They are positive leaders. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book, The Power of Positive Leadership, and they believe in a brighter and better future. And their optimism and their vision is something that they share with their team and they rally their team towards that success. So definitely belief in optimism is essential. It's a known characteristic to have as a leader. Second thing they do, as we already talked about, they connect. They connect with people and they develop relationships because you have to be someone that they want to follow. As a leader, you have to be someone who develops relationships, create that trust, and then they want to follow you. So as a coach, right? Do your players know you care about them? As a coach, are you invested in them? Is it about you and your career or is it about them? You make it about them and you're here to mentor them, coach them, guide them, develop them. They will be on your bus forever. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, great leaders, positive leaders, they pursue excellence. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not just here to have fun together. We're here to pursue greatness together. The team wants to be great. Every one of your players want to be great. Help them be great. Guide them towards greatness. Challenge them to achieve what is possible and reach their potential. Mm -hmm. And as a leader, if you can do those three things, you will have amazing success. And then I, I said three things, but love and accountability. Love and accountability ties into that. Mm -hmm. Dabo Sweeney, Sean McVay, whoever with the Rams the last yeah. two years, yeah. right? Donna Orander, all the leaders that I know, the great coaches, Corey Close. Love and accountability. I love you and I'm holding you accountable to the standards and the greatness that I know that you're here to achieve. Mm -hmm. 
Your strength, John, is how you keep things simple. I want to go quick final two here, rapid fire. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? I just love serve care, like the carpenter. <laughs> I mean, I like everyone the carpenter. Yes. I really think I, I love what I do. I love people. My mission was to serve yeah. and inspire and encourage as many people as possible, one person at a time. And I think I care more. Like I'm willing to just do things that other people won't do and show a level of care towards people that has propelled me. And I always have to remember that. There are times I forget when I get tired, when I got a million people requesting things all the time, <laughs> you get more and more people wanting stuff from you. And you forget sometimes to care because you also have to take care of yourself because if you don't, you're going to burn out. You're going to die. And I had health challenges last year because I was giving so much. Mm. But I, I do know that I'm at my best when I'm caring about others and I'm giving more to what they do. I just went up to a school in the Bronx and it wasn't paid for this, but just went to the school and they had used my books and I went to see what they were all about. And it was just incredible. They had a culture like your organization. They were in the Bronx. They had positive signage and messages all over the walls. They were speaking life into these kids. They had transformed the culture about three years ago using a lot of my books and they were incredible. And so to see that, I left just so energized, so hopeful about what is possible. Uh, when you have a positive leader in a school where most kids have uh, can't afford lunch, they're on a government lunch program, where attendance is a problem at the school because kids just won't show up because the families don't support education. And you come there and you see these attentive kids, smart kids, hopeful kids, you see their future. I left hopeful knowing that this school, these leaders could make an impact in their lives. Mm. And so I would say just go and do that experience. I was like, all right, this is why I do what I do. This is what it's all about. And I think that probably hope that hopefully separates me from, from a lot of others. I'm not in this for the money. I never was. I never thought I'd sell 4 million books, right? <laughs> but I'm very grateful that I'm reaching people with a message. That's something that I never want to take for granted. It's amazing. I always finish with, how do you want to be remembered? But I think you just answered that, John, as someone who oh, loves yeah. serving oh, it's simple. Yeah. I want people to meet my children and they'll tell my children that I made an impact in their lives. Mm -hmm. Somehow, some way, the book they read, they heard me speak that you know, your dad made a difference in my life. And hopefully my kids will feel proud, good knowing that. And they'll also know that I did everything I can in their lives as well. Unbelievable. Well, you've made a huge impact on myself, our team, and so many people. John, I can't thank you enough. I hope we can talk again because I'll tell you, it's amazing what you're doing and you've really inspired our team and what we're doing. So thank you. And how can people connect more with you? Hey, johngordon.com, J-O-N Gordon.com and Twitter or Instagram at J-O-N Gordon 11. J-O-N Gordon 11. That's because... John Gordon was already taken on those other things. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll check you out, John. Thanks again for everything. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.